you'll stand. Turn to hymn 89. John 8, 12 says, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said he was the light of the world. He is the light of the world. Let's, let's ask him tonight to shine his light in the darkness. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life, but sometimes things get dark. And we need his light. Let's sing, shine on us.
If you have your Bibles tonight, we're continuing our study in the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 7. We'll go down about verse 12 or so tonight as we uh, look in the book of James. Uh, as we talk about genuine faith, and uh, as I said last time, James really doesn't take any time to define faith as much as he says this is what it looks like. This is how it acts. And of course, you and I know that it's a whole lot better to have faith, live in faith, than it is to be able to define faith, right? And so we want to live uh, by faith, live in faith, live trust in Christ, and uh, to really do that in the everyday uh, applications of life. That's what James talks about. So look, if you will, in verses 7 and 8, and we'll work down to about verse 12 is kind of the section uh, tonight. So James writes, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also, farmer or not, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Well, patience can be a beautiful thing. Amen? Or so you hear. You may not have ever seen it at work, but patience can really be a beautiful thing. I was reading a story that a New York cab driver uh, shared about a call he got. It was right near the end of his shift, and uh, he got a call, and so he pulled up in front of the place of residence and uh, beeped his horn. Nobody came out. And as I said, it was his last call of the day. He's fixing to finish his shift and started to drive off. You know, if you call the cab, you should be ready for it when it gets there. And, but he decided not to drive off. He, you know, he wasn't tempted to kind of just go on home, but he didn't. He walked up to the door, knocked on the door, and uh, when he did, he heard a, a frail little voice um, say, just a minute, and uh, could tell that something being slid across the floor. And when, he, when the door opened up, there was a little lady there in her 90s. And he said she looked like she had stepped out of a 1940s movie. A little print dress, a little pillbox hat with a veil over it, you know. And he said when he, he had a little small nylon suitcase there. When he looked into the house, he said it looked like nobody had lived there in a long time. Vinyl kind of, I mean, like sheets, um, drop cloth kind of stuff over all the furniture. Uh, no knickknacks on the shelves or anything like that. There was a little box of, of things kind of over to the side. But just very spartan, very kind of cleared out. And so um, he said, let me take your um, suitcase for you. And he took your suitcase and he put it in. And he came back and he gave her his arm and she took his arm. And he said, she, he said that she kept saying, you're such a kind man. You're just such a kind man. And he said, well, I, he said, I, I want to treat uh, elderly people like you like I would want someone to treat my mom. And so he got her in the car, and uh, she gave him an address to go to. And uh, she said, can we drive through downtown? He said, well, ma'am, we could, but that's not the shortest way, and that's going to cost more money to go that way. And she said, that's fine. She said, I'm going to hospice care. All of my family passed away. The doctor told me I just don't have long to live. And uh, I'd just like to take one more tour through the city and see some of my favorite sites. And uh, he said, absolutely. So he reached over, turned the meter off, and said, where would you like to go? And so he said that for about two hours, they took a tour through downtown, uh, looked to the, went to the subdivision where her and her husband lived as newlyweds, uh, pulled up in front of a building where she worked as an elevator operator at one time. That's been a few years ago when you had somebody actually say, what floor would you like, please? And they would punch the button for you. And uh, places where other places she worked, some of their favorite scenes in, the, in downtown. And she said, after about two hours, uh, she said, I'm getting tired. 
we can go on to the convalescent home now. And so he uh, drove her to the nursing home and said when he pulled up to uh, workers to the nursing home, acted like they were expecting her, they came out. And uh, he took her bag and set it inside. When he came back out, uh, she was sitting in a wheelchair. And he said, I, I didn't think about it, just kind of on impulse. I reached down and just gave her a big hug and said, she hugged me back real tight. And she said to him, she said, you gave an old woman a little moment of joy. Thank you. And he said, you know, I just didn't hardly speak the rest of the day. I drove around for a little bit, went home, and just sat there. And he said, the thing I thought about after I dropped that lady off was, he said, I thought about what if she had gotten an angry driver? What if she had gotten an, an impatient driver? What if she had gotten someone who honked a horn and then just drove away? He said, this is the lady's last time to see the memories of her life in the city that she loved. What if she'd got somebody that was impatient with her? And that's why I say patience can be a beautiful thing, can't it? And as we look in James chapter 5, what we're going to see is James is saying that genuine faith lives patiently. And he's going to say it in a couple of different ways. Genuine faith endures through the hard times, the difficult times of life. He says it two or three times in verses 7 and 8. He talks about patience. And then he has a different word, but it's very close. Down in verse 11, which is translated endure or persevere, depending on the translation that you have. And it's interesting because uh, the word patient in verses 7 and 8, uh, some commentators believe that's patience toward people. And then the word endure, it's the same, comes from the same root word as the word in 7 and 8, but the word endure in verse 11 has to do with situations. And so James is saying we need to be patient with people and we need to be patient with circumstances. Boy, he gets us on both ends, doesn't he? He really does. I told Laura before we were leaving, before we were coming to church tonight, I said, I'm going to talk about patience tonight. How does that sound? She said, it sounds great to me. I'm in preschooler praise. <laughs> I say, well, when we get home, I'm going to give you a lot of reasons to try to work on your patience tonight. I'm going to do some things that help you, uh, maybe your patience. Warren Wearsby says, patience means to stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away. Amen? Stay put and stand fast and maybe be calm and not raise your voice <laughs> when you would like to, right? Thomas Akempis, who wrote around 1420 to 1455, he wrote a devotional classic called On the Imitation of Christ. Here's what Thomas Akempis said, and yet temptations can be used. And he's talking about, when he's talking about temptations, he's not talking about necessarily temptations to sin. Uh, Thomas is talking about trials and tribulations and hard times. He's saying these can be useful because they seem, everybody say seem. They seem to cause nothing but pain, but they're useful. That's the thing. They don't feel good, but they're useful because they make us humble. They can cleanse us, and they can teach us, and uh, really teach us to be more like Christ. And so tonight, if you look in verse 7, he's going to talk about patience. But he goes back to verse 4, verse 11. In verse 7, he says, he calls them brethren, and he hasn't called them brethren since chapter 4, verse 11. In chapter 4, verse 11, he says, brothers and sisters, and this is going to be helpful because this is going to relate to what he says tonight. James 4.11, New International Version. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister 
or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Sort of a, it's sort of patience, right? Don't slander somebody. And the idea behind that would be they've kind of done something that you could slander them for, right? And so it's interesting because that's the last time he calls them brothers and sisters. In James chapter 5, in the first six verses, Boy, last time we talked about the, the rich landowners who were abusing and misusing their workers, withholding their wages and things like that. He doesn't call them brothers and sisters. And some people have, um, have kind of theorized from that that maybe James doesn't think they're saved. And some people think, well, maybe they're saved, but they're just not acting like they're saved. And that's an interesting argument. It's not what we really need to get into because we don't know. You know, only God knows that. But the idea of the whole book of James is he says, you can say you have faith, and then your actions say you really don't. And so that's kind of up for grabs. And we're gonna, but the reason I bring that up, we're going to see how that applies to patience in a really difficult way for the people of James's day. So let's look, if you will, at three examples. What James really does, he doesn't define patience. He, doesn't, he, he gives you three examples of what patience looks like. So we're going to look at these three examples tonight. Number one is the farmer example. He takes an example of a farmer and says a farmer has to be patient. And the idea here is we are, we're to be patient like the farmer waiting for the harvest. The farmer waits, is patiently waiting, maybe sometimes impatiently waiting. The farmer waits for the rain, and he waits for the harvest. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Well, that's the rest of our life, isn't it? Yeah. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, he applies it. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And so in the Mediterranean area in this time, they would have two seasons of rain. They had the early rains and the latter rains, and the farmers knew they needed both. They needed rain after they planted. They needed rain when the fruits come into fruition. And so they needed these early and latter rains. And so they had to be patient. Why? They can't control the weather. Still can't, right? And they're being patient for two things. They're being patient for the rain and they're being patient for the harvest. They've got to be patient both ways because neither happens overnight. In fact, one commentator said, uh, you don't need to be a farmer if you can't be patient. <laughs> But I talked to one of our farmers in the church this week, and I shared that quote with him, and he said, you don't really need to be a farmer if you don't have faith. <laughs> because the farmer anticipates that it will rain. He believes that it will rain, and he believes there will be a harvest. If not, he wouldn't farm, right? And so he's trusting, believing, patiently waiting uh, for the rain and for the harvest both uh, to come. Now, patience is not inactivity. Patience doesn't mean the farmer, when it's not raining, if, it's, if, it, if it rains and then things dry up a little bit, he doesn't just sit around and say, boy, I sure hope it'll rain again, you know. The farmer works while, the, while it's not raining. Uh, he has to make sure there's no weeds in his field because the weeds will suck out the nutrients that the plants need. The, the cotton or the peanuts or the corn or whatever it is, you want those plants, your tomatoes, right? You want your butter beans. You want those plants to get the moisture and nutrients that are there. You don't want them going to the weeds. That's why we need a clean heart, right? 
Because we want a clean heart, because we want our emotional energies, our mental energies, our spiritual energies going to produce spiritual fruit, not in fruitless searches that aren't going to do us any good. So it's a very good application. The farmer is also uh, trying to keep things away from his field that will eat up his harvest, trying to keep the insects out. Uh, these days, trying to keep the deer out and the hogs out because if it rains and the crops been eat up, doesn't do any good, right? And so we want to be on guard against our spiritual enemies that are trying to come in and distract us and eat up the harvest in our lives. And the farmer's also anticipating the harvest. He's making sure his machinery's ready to do the harvest when the harvest comes. So how does this apply to us? He said, you too, you too be patient until the coming of the Lord. Why do we need to be patient? Because we want a spiritual harvest. See, the farmer knows when the, the, the harvest is, he calls it precious. And, and I've never been a farmer, so I don't know how precious it is, but I can imagine if you work all year and this is your paycheck, is your harvest, that's precious, right? <laughs> a year's worth of pay in this one setting, in this one, you know, time of, time of the year. That's your whole paycheck. And he knows by the harvest, people are going to be fed. People are going to be clothed, i.e. cotton right? He knows that bills are going to be paid, have something to invest in next year's crop, and hopefully a little bit left over to go to David's and eat a little fish and shrimp, amen? So he knows that all of this, it's beneficial. He needs the harvest, not just for himself, but if God blesses him with the harvest, then he's blessed to do what? Be a blessing. I pray the peanut crop goes well. I love peanuts and I love peanut butter, amen? <laughs> so we want the peanuts to do really, really well. So what about us? We are all spiritual farmers. Well, so how am I a spiritual farmer? Well, God's developing a crop in your heart. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit, hey, fruit is a harvest, right? You, fruit, a fruit tree or fruit bushes, whatever you got, you expect to harvest out. So he's talking here in the agricultural sense, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, that word's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And so you're waiting for God, not, and as you wait, you're patient because some of that don't, you don't see happen yet. And by the way, I've, hear, I've heard people say, man, I'll never pray for patience. Why not? You pray for love, pray for joy, pray for peace. And I know, the, I know the sentiment behind that is because the way you develop patience is through hard times, right? And so you're afraid if you pay for patience, God's going to give you hard times. You develop love, joy, peace through hard times as well. And patience is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So nothing wrong with praying for patience and wanting patience. But the thing is, God is cultivating that. So you have to stand firm. Don't run away. Let the Spirit do its work when it's really difficult. When the going gets tough and things are hard, remember, a harvest is coming. A harvest of fruit in my own heart and hopefully a harvest of influence that I have with other people. Hopefully a harvest from uh, your children. Hopefully a harvest from your grandchildren. Hopefully a harvest in your Sunday school class, the place you work, and, the, and more Christ followers coming forth from that. Maybe you can start a Bible study or prayer group where you work at. There'll be a harvest there. And so you're praying for that kind of thing. I love what David Platt wrote about this passage. David Platt said, the lesson here is that genuine faith trusts God for what we cannot control, the rain, 
right? We cannot control other people's actions. We cannot control what your children or grandchildren are going to do. You can't control what your spouse is going to do. You can't control what the weather's going to be. You can't control how well your car is going to be. You can't control if you're going to get a wreck or not. A lot of things you can't control. And so you trust God for what we cannot control, that he'll use it for his good and our glory, uh, his glory and our good. And you honor God with what you can control. Isn't that good? You trust God for what you cannot control. You honor God with what you can control. And now look at what happens in verse 9. It looks almost a little unrelated, but it's not. Watch verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now notice this is the context of patience. Difficult things are going on. Hard things are happening in their lives. And he's saying what? Don't run away. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't compromise. Stay with what God wants you to do. There is something to complain about. And the, the idea here, don't complain against each other. If it's not raining or the harvest comes, whatever, the farmer doesn't need to complain against his neighbor. The, my experience has been with the farmers that I've known in all three of my churches have been farmers are usually very willing to help each other. I can remember my dad telling me uh, that lightning came one time and killed. Uh, uh, they had two horses that they farmed with, and it killed one and knocked the other one crazy and uh, couldn't use it for a year or so. And uh, he said if it wouldn't have been for his uncles uh, lending them a mule, they couldn't have got their crop in. And so the farmers, you know, farmers, so you, you want to help each other. So he says, don't grumble, don't complain, brothers and sisters. And you might think, well, James, you don't know what people have done to me. You don't know what they've said about me or how they treated me. Hang on a second. Don't forget last week. The wealthy landowners were misusing and abusing the people that were working for them. Withholding their wages. It says some of them may have even died. And so it's in the context of that, those wealthy landowners and the people they were holding wages from could have been in the same church. And James says, don't be grumbling against each other. Why? Because something bigger is at stake. The world will know that God sent Jesus by the unity of the church. Now, I'm sure James would not have been against him going to the leaders of the church and saying, hey, man, these guys won't even pay us. We're working for them. They won't pay us. Not, not saying you can't address the situation. He's not saying you can't go to the proper people and try to get the situation rectified. But what he's saying is watch for that root of bitterness. Watch for grumbling, complaining, and your emotional energy of the church is sapped away into something non-productive. In other words, it doesn't go toward the Great Commission and it doesn't go toward the Great Commandment. And so it's easy to complain about something. When you're in pain, when you've got a relationship difficulty, things aren't going your way, people around you are going through a hard time, if you're under a lot of stress, it's so, so easy uh, to complain. And so when somebody complains and grumbles, we need to do what? Be patient with them. Love them. Almost everybody you know has got something that they can complain about, right? Everybody you know is going through some kind of situation that's hard for them. And so we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we're merciful to each other. And the end of the verse says, why? why? Because the judge is standing at the door. Christ, so there's two ways to look at that. One is Christ is about to come back, and when he comes back, you want him to find you doing his work, not sitting around grumbling and complaining because you wish it was better. The other thing is if he's standing at the door, what? He's listening. 
He's listening. And so we want to be uh, patient like the farmer to please Christ. Second example is the example of the prophet. Okay? The prophet example. Here's the example of the prophet. that We are to be patient like the prophet who speaks the truth even when it's hard. So the farmer waits for the harvest. It's precious. The prophet speaks the truth even if it doesn't go so well with him. And if you look back at the Old Testament, you can see uh, there were some people who spoke God's truth, who were sincere, who were right, did exactly what God called them to do, and it was hard. Listen to Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Do you hear the Trinity in there? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And God said, great, they're going to love you. You're going to get a bigger house. You're going to get a better car. You're going to write a book. It's going to be a bestseller. It's going to be fantastic. It's not what it says, does it? Watch what he said. God, God said, who's going to, I'll go, Lord. Okay, that's fantastic. Go tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn to be healed. Then I said, well, Lord, that doesn't sound very productive, right? For how long? Week, month, year? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant and the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged and the Lord has sent everyone far away into the land is utterly forsaken. And Isaiah said, you got a different job? <laughs> is there another interview I could go to? That's a tough job description, is it not? Isaiah, go, preach my word, speak my word, and by and large, nobody's going to pay any attention to you. They're not going to listen. It's not gonna, you're not going to see the kind of harvest you want to see. And then you go to Jeremiah. I'm only going to use Isaiah and Jeremiah because you could go to a lot, a lot of prophets here. But Jeremiah, uh, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 27. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. They're not going to say, good message, Jeremiah. Way to go. Man, I spoke to my heart today. That was such a good message. I'm so glad you said that today. That's not what's going to happen. They're not going to listen to you. And not only that, Jeremiah, some really hard stuff to go through. A couple of things Jeremiah had to go through. He was beaten and put in stocks. In Jeremiah chapter 20, that means he was chained to a piece of wood or something like that. This is for preaching. Now, he wasn't stealing money. He wasn't saying, hey, if y'all don't send me $8 million for my airplane, God's going to judge you. He's not doing that, okay? He's not rebelling. He's not, you know, stealing money. He's not sleeping with women, not doing any of that kind of stuff. They said he deserved a death sentence. You ought to be put to death for what you're preaching. That's harsh, right? I can understand somebody saying, that didn't really apply to me or that message wasn't too interesting, but you deserve a death penalty? Really? Jeremiah was left to die in the mud in the bottom of a cistern or a well. It threw him down a well to die in the mud. Uh, he was called a liar. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. They took his book that he did write, and instead of making the best settler list, the king burned the book that God told him to write. That's frustrating, that's irritating, that's heartbreaking. He, it's why he's called the weeping prophet. He loves these people. He wants them to come to Christ. He knows destruction's awaiting if they don't come to Christ. And so he's being patient. And he has the patience of a prophet pleading with people to come back to God. Listen, 
What encouragement did we get from their example? We get this encouragement. We look to God for the harvest. We look to God for our validation. We look to God for our joy, knowing that sometimes you can do the right thing, and it doesn't work out like you thought it would. doesn't go the way you were hoping it would go. Satan tells the suffering Christian it's because of your sin. Satan, I can imagine Satan whispering to Isaiah, Jeremiah, if you preach better, they like you more. <laughs> if you just did a better job, if you were kinder, if you were more passionate, if you had better illustrations, if you told a joke once in a while during your message, you know, if you, did, if you did it a little bit differently, then people would like you. But listen, you can do exactly what God calls you to do and it not be well received. Jesus is the only perfectly obedient person. What did it get him? Cross. And so... Uh, Times of suffering are hard. But here's the thing. Here's, the, here's where patience is coming. Times of suffering are hard, but they are golden opportunities to speak of God's goodness, mercy, and forgiveness. Why? When you speak out of hardship, and you speak out of hurt, and you speak when you're not appreciated, or you speak when you're in pain, or you speak when you're under so much stress, you have a credible witness. People tend to listen to you a little bit closer, don't they? Uh, Johnny Erickson Todd, whenever people ask me about, is there a book I could read about suffering, or is there, I'm going through a hard time, is there somebody I can listen to, my mind almost always goes to Johnny Erickson Todd. Uh, 50 years of being in a wheelchair, quadriplegic, not having the use of her hands or her feet, two rounds of, uh, of breast cancer, and daily chronic pain. Somebody has to come in, get her up, get her dressed, get her in her wheelchair, all of that kind of stuff. And she says, in the midst of all that, you find the strength to go on in the presence of God. You find the strength to go on by just saying, I'm going to endure. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep obeying. And God supplies it. And there are some people who said to Johnny, man, if you would just trust God, he'd heal you. You'd get out of that wheelchair and you'd be a great witness. But she's been a great witness for 50 years. Testifying in the middle of pain. Of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. I can remember, y'all, when I, not long after I got saved is when she had the accident. And I read her first book not long after I got saved. I went and saw a movie that they made out of her life just maybe five or ten years or so after I got saved. And all through my ministry, Johnny Erickson has been one of those shining lights to say, doesn't matter what happens, God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. And last of all, he talks about the example of Job. The example of the farmer waiting for the harvest. The example of the prophets continue to speak truth whenever it's hard. And Job tells us to be trusting in God's purpose when it doesn't make sense. You trust in the goodness of God. You trust that God has a reason. God has a purpose even when you can't find it. Look in verse 11. So he talks about the prophets. I'm going to pick out one particular one. Verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. And seeing, another word for that's endurance. And it's seeing what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Uh, so James writes, you don't give up. You persevere, you endure. One commentator wrote it this way. You cannot persevere unless there's a trial. There are no victories without battles. There's no peaks without valleys. If you want the blessing, you must be prepared to carry the burden and fight 
the battles, Job tells us that it's worth it. And here's the thing about, I just finished reading Job in my quiet time the last couple of weeks. Here's the thing that's easy to forget about Job. He doesn't know what's going on. God brags on Job. Uh, Satan says, now only read people serve you because you're good to them. And God said, well, check out Job down there. He, he's, he'll serve me just because I'm God. Uh, kind of, I heard one preacher said, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be godly just south of Job. <laughs> just south of where God said, brags on me to the devil and says, just take a shot at that dude. He won't bail on you. <laughs> I just want to be just south of Job, you know. Job doesn't know him. He never knows it till he dies. As far as we know, the book never explains it to Job. God never explains himself. All of a sudden, Job, I mean, you talk about God having to be patient. He goes through a world of hurt. His kids die. His possessions are gone. His health is gone. And the devil leaves his wife. She must have been a piece of work. Amen. Take everything that's valuable to take everything that's going to detract him away from God. All right, take his wealth, take his kids, take his land, take, take his health. What about his wife? You can leave her. Because <laughs> what does she say? Curse God and die. And Satan says, yes, you do just what I thought. You just going to let her hang around for a little while. So Job doesn't know what's going on. And patience doesn't mean that Job never asked for an answer because he did. In addition to all that Job goes through, his three friends come, sit with him for seven days in silence, which was helpful, and then they opened their mouth, and they were not helpful anymore. Uh, and they basically said, dude, you know God rewards the righteous and God punishes the sinners. If you just confess, this all go away. And I admire Job for saying, no, I don't think that's it. You know, his heart was clean. God said, now, he wasn't perfect. But he had not sinned a sin that would make him suffer like that, okay? Which is helpful for us. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, one of the oldest characters. Many Bible commentators believe that Job lived before Abraham. If you read a chronological Bible, you'll read the first 11, uh, 10 or so verses of Genesis, and then you hit Job. It's one of the oldest stories in the Bible. And what it says is something a lot of people still haven't gotten yet, and that is this. If you're suffering, it doesn't mean there was a sin that caused it. You may just be suffering. Maybe a fallen world, maybe a satanic attack, which is what it was for Job. He wasn't suffering because he did wrong. He was suffering because he did right. And so the patient says, I'm going to continue to believe that God has a purpose when I can't figure it out. Sometimes people say, well, this is happening for a reason. And what I'm a little bothered by that, if we understand the reason is to glorify God, and the reason is to love people and share the message of Jesus. Man, I'm all in. That is the reason. But if you try to say uh, the reason why your loved one died or the reason why you're sick or the reason why your child is not following Jesus anymore is because you did this 10 years ago, that's, that's not going to work. That's going to be hard. And, and it's not because God wants to teach you a lesson. It's not, it's not it is because God wants to make you more like Christ, right? God wants to glorify himself in your life. But to try to say the reason is this specific thing can run you down some really, really tough rabbit holes. Look at James chapter 5, verse 11 again. <laughs> uh, New Living Translations. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. I'm not sure Job felt that way. 
<laughs> I think one of his friends was like, dude, man, this is a great honor God's given you. I think Job would have said, I'll trade. <laughs> Take a hard pass on this honor right here, if you don't mind. To those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Took a long time for Job to see that, didn't it? Couldn't see it for a long time. You and I are going to see it. And it may be a long time, maybe a short time. We're going to see it fully when we see Jesus. Uh, New International Version says this. As you know, we can't bless those who have persevered. You heard about Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I think Job would like that translation. <laughs> yeah, he finally brought it about. I didn't think it ever going to end. <laughs> he finally brought it about. I think Job would like that a lot. You see, here's the thing. This is not, you got the flu during final exam. You know, this is not you got a flat tire and you're late for work. This is a loss of everything meaningful to Job. And that's why the patience of Job says he did question God. He wanted to argue with God. He wanted to present a case to against God. But he, caught, but he stayed with an argument out of faith. An argument out of faithfulness. He said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And he said, yet in my faith, Flesh, I shall see God. He continued, even though he was, he was frustrated and he was questioning and he couldn't make sense of it. Nobody could make sense of it for him. And he hadn't seen the cross like you and I have. He still stayed with God. Even when it seemed like God was against him. Job endured, was a righteous man. And he teaches us, Job teaches us, that God has higher purposes and suffering than simply punishing us for our sins. And Job, it's amazing to me, at the end of the book, God finally reveals himself to Job. And you expect, after all of Job's questioning, and I want to argue, it's like I want to go to court with God. I want to present my case. I want to, and I want to see what God says. I, I want to know what God's perspective. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know how God can make sense of that. I want to do that. But when God finally shows up, Job repents, covers his mouth. The presence of God was enough. And that's amazing to me. It must have been something. Truly, truly outstanding. The presence of God could be that Powerful, as the old Puritan said, just two minutes in heaven will more than offset, it will compensate for all the pain and suffering we struggled with on earth. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 is odd. Uh, it's odd that we'd be here. Uh, it doesn't seem really to fit in this section. It doesn't seem to fit in the next section. So look at verse 12. Above all, and the word above all, uh, it really has kind of the idea of summing up, summing up the section, okay? Summing up. My brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. What he's saying there is that we need to be patient in our speech. No matter what's going on in our life, we ought to be able to say something and people believe us. You shouldn't have to say, I promise you know, I, I shouldn't have, to, I shouldn't have to, 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 to give your word and then have to get a whole bunch of things to back it up. You ought to be able to say yes or no. People should know you well enough to have your integrity well enough to know that you're good to what you say even when you're hurting. It reminds us of James 1.19. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow 
to get angry. And you know who the great example of this is more than Job is, don't you? It's Jesus, right? You see, we come here tonight, we don't come here to honor the farmer, and we don't come here to honor the prophets, and we don't come here to honor Job. Think about this. I mean, when I read, when I studied this passage this week, I'll be honest with you. It broke my heart, the context of this passage, with the wealthy landowner owners misusing their workers. And then God says, don't complain, don't grumble, you know. And I thought, Lord, how in the world? But then I thought, you know, I sin against God every day. Jesus was put to death for my sin. I sin with my words. I sin with my actions. I sin with my attitudes. I mean, I wish I could stand here before you tonight and say, as your pastor, I'm having a hard time remembering the last time I sinned. But I'm not. <laughs> and uh, neither does anybody in my family. <laughs> anybody who lives very close to me. They can, you know, when Jesus said, who convicts me of sin? I would never say that. <laughs> there be too many hands go up. I, I got you right here, big boy. But here's the thing. Jesus unbelievably, eternally patient with you and me. That's why we can be patient. That's the heart of it. The heart of it's not to knuckle down and say, all right, I'm going to be patient if it kills me. The heart of it is, God, you've been so very patient with me. Things that I continue to do cost you your life. And you still love me. And there's no condemnation in Christ. And you never threaten to kick me out. I'm still a child of God. And, and you smile when you look at me. Why? Because my sins are gone and the righteousness of Jesus covers me. And God is glad that you're in his family. Isn't that good news? Stand, if you will, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed. The source of our patience with our circumstances and with each other is Jesus and his and the more I'm aware of his patience with me and of his patience with life he never got to get married he never got to see kids grow up he, he never uh, I mean he was betrayed by his, some of his best friends with a kiss after all good grief I mean life was pretty rugged on Jesus but he didn't get impatient with life and he continues to be patient with us people who Never give him the time of day. If they'll turn to him tonight, he'll save them. It's an amazing Savior and Lord we have. Father, I pray tonight that your patience would just overwhelm us during these next moments. God, I, I'm struggling a little bit at the beginning of the service tonight, Lord, wondering what it was you were trying to get to. Feeling like there was something that you wanted to say. And Lord, I think this is it. God, help us to be overwhelmed with the patience that you have given us, knowing that it's never going to run out. Heads bowed, eyes closed, Lisa begins to play. Just worship the Lord. Ask him what he said.